the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Hey, I'm Mike Chastain. I'm a criminal defense attorney from Northern California out of the Sacramento area. I've been practicing law for 37 years, and I'm the author of Legalese, the ultimate guide on how to survive a law practice. And here I am on Maximum Lawyer. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Well, we have a great lawyer guest today, and he's an endurance athlete, and I feel like an endurance athlete myself, having recorded six episodes of the Maximum Lawyer Podcast with you in one day. Lucky you. This is the best day of your life, man. So, uh, yeah, we've had, you know what? Here's the thing. Not to set the bar too high, Mike, but we've had some really amazing podcasts today. So, and I think that this might be the best one today. I've got pretty high hopes. We'll do our best for sure. Yeah. So, uh, Jimmy, do you want to do the bio? Yeah, for sure. So, Mike Chastain is a, he's one of the top criminal defense lawyers in the entire country. He found that working 50 hours a week wasn't enough to become financially stable. He lacked the systems he was needed. He was constantly on the verge of going under. Stress of this led to a divorce and the loss of his home. He then started using some of the lessons he learned as an extreme athlete to build the right systems that his practice was needed. It was named the best criminal defense firm in Northern California and grew to $1.2 million a year with just three lawyers working 20 hours a week. He has four books, and we're going to talk about those. He's also a radio host of a weekly show, which had close to 200 episodes. After being a lawyer for 37 years, he's now sharing how anyone can turn their firm into an extremely profitable asset while having time for their family, friends, and personal interests. Mike, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Mike, Jim, and I, before you hopped on, we were like, we we're like, do you see this guy's bio? I mean, like, so like, yeah, pretty legit. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good bio. But tell us about, you know, there, there's a lot underneath all that. So tell us about your journey and how you got to today. And then we'll, we'll follow up because we're going to dig in pretty deep. So uh, tell us about your journey. Okay. Well, to, to, to go through it quickly, I, uh, Graduated from law school in 85. I immediately went to the Santa Clara County Public Defender's Office where I did everything from, you know, simple possessions all the way to death penalty cases. I stayed there for about 17 years, moved to the Sacramento area and joined a very prestigious firm. I stayed there about six years. And then in 2007, I opened my own practice. During that period of time, I had great mentors 
in the law who, you know, taught me how to, you know, practice law, how to be successful in the courtroom. And, and I had a great deal of success there, but I didn't have anybody teaching me how to run a business. And so I struggled for a number of years, you know, staring at the ceiling, trying to figure out how to pay the rent under this illusion that um, just because I was good at what I did, that somehow people would uh, magically know that and come in and hire me. Well, that wasn't the case. So then I sought out some business mentors and got involved with some programs that taught me how to actually build a business. And within a, a relatively short period of time, we went from being a very struggling firm to, you know, doing well in excess of seven figures on a consistent basis with just three lawyers, worked less, made more, and had more time to actually enjoy enjoy my practice. And then this year, or the end of 2021, I sold the practice. And so I'm I'm at the process now where I'm of counsel. So I'm I'm literally in Sacramento today. I'm just finishing up a few things, but I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico now. And you know, got a couple cases left to finish, but for the most part, I'm done with the courtroom and and working on other projects. Talk to us a little bit, Mike, about the struggle. Like when things are really bad, what did that look like? And then I I'd love to hear. What are the one or two things that had the biggest impact shifting from those dark days to the sunnier skies? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So, you know, it, it was really a, a level of uncertainty. I didn't know where the next client was going to come from. I had no real systems in place. Everything was how I did it, when I did it, when I felt like it. I didn't have follow-up. I didn't have anything that really could give me a level of certainty that this is the kind of revenue that I could expect on a daily basis. I wasn't tracking anything. So the thing that really changed was, one, I got uh, mentors who actually taught me to do that. Two, I began to track everything. You know, how many hours I worked on every case, how many leads came in, what it cost per lead, how many of those, you know, set appointments, how many of them showed, how many of them hired. I began to raise my rates pretty dramatically. I mean, over a course of... Uh, basically three years, I raised my hourly $300. I began to work less and enjoy it more. And I think the one thing that that really changed things is, is I began to employ the Profit First accounting system by Mike Michalowicz. I met Mike and he gave a presentation and I was like all in. I read the book on the, on the plane home and uh, it, that really did change things for me. So your mentioning of raising your rates is so timely because I was just speaking to a guild member two days ago and he's a criminal defense attorney. He's afraid of raising his rates. He wants to because he, he knows in his heart that it's the right thing to do, but he's so afraid to do that. So will you talk about that part of the process of raising your rates and maybe give some tips to the people that are thinking about doing the same? Yeah, absolutely. So first you got to know what it actually costs to get a case. I just did the calculation yesterday. It costs us $75 every time the phone rings. Our acquisition cost for our average case is over $500. So if you're charging $1,500 for a case that costs you 500 acquisition costs, you are losing money. Once I knew that, that became very important. The, the second thing, or maybe, maybe even the most important thing, is, is, I, is I stopped being afraid of saying no. If, you know, I note I never negotiate on price. This is what I charge and take it or leave it. People respect that. And every time I've raised my rates, I've gotten more clients because people do want the best lawyer that they can afford. And our issue now is not how much we charge, but whether they can afford it. 
It's not whether they're willing. It's just that, you know, can they afford it or not? They want the best lawyer that they can get, especially with the kind of practice that I do where most of my clients are looking at, you know, many, many years in prison. I'd love to hear about the working less part. I'm a big believer in the Eisenhower principle and that work fills the amount of space that you give it. And I'm working really hard. I'm taking Wednesdays off now. Mm -hmm. So I've cut my time working per week and I thereby raise my effective hourly rate. But how did you logistically do less work? And like, did you grow your team? Did you have VAs or what did you do mechanically to make that happen? So a, a couple things. One, I took a lot of things off my plate. So my basic rule is if, if it doesn't require a bar card, I'm not doing it. Um, someone else is doing it. And it's, you know, I bill $600 an hour now, which I'm probably going to raise again. But, you know, to pay someone $30 an hour, you know, I only have to bill like one hour and I've paid for the whole week. So, you know, when, when I understood that math and then I also, you know, believe in, in one of the things that Tim Ferriss says is that, you know, you can only be effective for a certain number of hours a day. And so, you know, I time block, you know, I have a sign on my door that says, you know, uh, unless the building's on fire and I'm the only person with water, do not knock on this door. This is my time. It's blocked off on my calendar. And, you know, the other thing that's been very helpful is, is my approach to email. I only look at email once a day. And you get an autoresponder from me that tells you that. So, you know, people don't expect me to respond immediately. And, you know, from my perspective, that's kind of a low priority thing. And in all honesty, if you're not on my contact list, you go into junk mail. So, you know, I may not get it at all. I do peruse that from time to time to make sure I'm not missing anything too important. But the, the I think the point is, is that because I've been doing that for an extended period of time, everyone just knows, you know, if you want something from Mike, you know, you better give him notice. I'm not willing to do a lot of last minute stuff. You know, your failure to plan is not my problem. So, you know, those things have worked for me. So let's shift gears a little here a little bit because that's all great advice. That, those are things that we we talk about on the podcast all the time. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned mentioned them because those are really really good. But I want I want to shift gears over to legalese, uh, the book you wrote, legalese, the ultimate guide on how to survive a law practice. And I I find the wording really interesting. How to survive a law practice. Talk about the genesis of the book, if you will. Okay, sure. So I, I was a public defender for, like I said, almost 17 years. And I had the, the great fortune of being able to spend a lot of time with senior lawyers at a bar, a place called San Jose Cafe, listening to the war stories. Um, so I learned a tremendous amount, but I also watched as those guys disintegrated. You know, their health fell apart. They, they were drinking too much. And it was all about stress. These were very dedicated, hardworking, good lawyers, but they were letting the stress get to them. They weren't taking care of themselves. And so, you know, I decided to start to really think about that. You know, I didn't want to die when I was 50 years old. I wanted to, you know, have a long and healthy life. And, and I've always been an athlete. So, you know, that was a big part of it. So I, I began to, 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 you know, study what does it take to, to deal in high stress situations and, you know, what are the key performance factors that you need? Sleep, exercise, the willingness to say no, you know, to not take on everybody's you know, task. I can't help everybody. So, you know, once I commit to help you, I'm full in. But you got to convince me that I should, you know, 
take that single resource that I have, my most precious resource of all, which is time. I only have a finite amount of that. And I'm only going to give that to people that, you know, I, I choose to. And so that's kind of the genesis of the book. It, it, it kind of goes through those things, controlling your cell phone, controlling your email, controlling, you know, getting enough sleep. I talk about sleep all the time. You know, as an expedition length adventure racer, I know about sleep deprivation. Uh, I know what it's like to try to, you know, ride a bike when you haven't slept for 48 hours. Not good. But, you know, what I've always been able to avoid is that chronic sleep deprivation that I think most lawyers suffer from. This idea that, you know, they can work 15, 16 hours a day. They're not doing, they're not doing good work. So I really focus on my to-do list is rarely more than three things. And I do them the best that I possibly can. And then, you know, I consider that a, a productive day. Mike, one of the things that a lot of lawyers that we talk to struggle in giving up, um, and you said that if it doesn't involve a, a bar license, you don't want to be doing it, is intake and talking to leads. They think that they have to be the one to sign up the case with their glorious tongue. They're going to convince the person on the other line to hire them. I'd love to hear how your team does it, especially as you're spending so much time in Santa Fe. Well, so I, I, I absolutely uh, understand that. And, and I think different practice areas are going to have different situations because what we do, our niche is sex offenses. So I have toyed with having other people do the intakes. I think that my relationship with the client or the client's family, if they're in jail, is so critical that I need to be part of that. So I never did let that go. Even from Santa Fe, if I'm doing an intake, I'll do it by Zoom. But you know, certainly for other practice areas, having other people do the intake or at least get them to the point where they're ready to make a decision, I, I think makes a ton of sense. If I could get out of the intake room, I think that'd be good. I will say, though, that I actually really enjoy the intakes. So for me, it's a real pleasure to spend time with people. I turn a lot of clients away. I tell them what I think they should do. Stay with the public defender or, you know, these are the steps that you should take. Don't, you know, don't spend the money. on it. I mean, I had a lady come in the other day. Her issue was restitution. And I said, you know, instead of giving me 50 grand, which is what I was going to charge her, I said, put that towards the restitution and, and that will actually take care of the problem. So, you know, I feel that that's really important and, and I enjoy that process. You know, I don't know why I didn't ask you this earlier, but uh, we were talking about fees, and I want to I want to go back to that for a second. Um, you you've raised your rate, and you you keep mentioning an hourly rate. And so, will you talk a little bit about your pricing model? Because I know a lot of attorneys have switched, and especially when it comes to criminal defense attorneys, they've gone to a flat rate model. Mm -hmm. And it, are you are you doing an hourly model? And if so, why are you going that way versus flat fee? Okay. Uh, so yes, we start on an hourly basis. And, and I'll tell you the same thing that I tell all the clients. I said, if your car was making a funny noise and you went to the mechanic and before he opened the hood, he quoted you a price, you would probably drive out of there right away. How can I possibly quote somebody a price for their case without knowing really anything about it? You know, all 245s, assault with a deadly weapon are not the same. All sex molests are not the same. I need to see the police report. I need to talk to the client. I need to do some investigation so that I know what I'm in for. Is this a trial case? Is this a settlement case? Is this, you know, something that I'm going to work on mitigation? I need to know what my time commitment is. So our model is we start on an hourly basis. We get a deposit. 
We charge by the hour until we're far enough into the case that we believe we can make a, a reasonable assessment of how much time it's going to take. And then at that point, we'll offer a flat rate. Uh, and generally, we offer flat rates for trials because if you don't, the price goes through the roof. I mean, most trials, you know, I wind up spending close to 300 hours on the case. So, you know, that would just be cost prohibitive. And once we're in, I don't want to get out. So that's how we do. Running your own practice can be scary, whether you're worried about where the next case will come from, feeling like you're losing control over your growing firm or frustrated from being out of touch with everyone working under your license. The stress can be overwhelming. We will show you how to turn that fear into a driving force of clarity, focus, stability, and confidence that eliminates the roller coaster of guilt-ridden second-guessing and mistake-making to get you off that hamster wheel for good. Maximum Lawyer and Minimum Time is a step-by-step -step playbook that shows you how to identify what your firm needs and how to proactively get it at every stage of the game so you are prepped and excited for the inevitable growth that will follow. Name the lifestyle that you want and we'll show you how to become a Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. Find out more by going to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash course. You're listening to the Maximum Lawyer podcast. Our guest today, Mike Chastain, very successful criminal defense lawyer from Northern California and extreme athlete. Mike, talk to us a little bit about your history in, in athletic endeavors and how that has translated into make you a better law firm owner. Okay. Thank you for asking that. So, you know, I ran track and cross country in high school and in college. I suffered a knee injury, so I started mountain biking. And then I moved to Northern California and I met some adventure racers and, and that just fascinated me. So I started doing that, which, you know, for your listeners who don't know, an adventure race is basically you go into the wilderness with a, a team of four, a co-ed team of four, and you find checkpoints, you know, using only a map and compass, biking, paddling, hiking, climbing, you know, variety, but it's all human powered. And, and what I really learned from that is one, I learned teamwork, I learned patience, I learned strategy and planning. You know, in a 10-day race, on day two, I'm already planning, you know, what day five and six are going to be like. Where are we going to be and what things are we going to need to move forward? How, when are we going to sleep? Where are we going to sleep? When do we eat? All of those things. That's what I really enjoyed about it. It was very intellectual. I learned obviously tenacity and perseverance, never give up, even when things go bad. I, I got lost in, in, uh, in Canada and in, in uh, British Columbia. We started on a trek that we thought would take 17 hours and 57 hours later, we had to get rescued. That was not good, but you know, it, it, it was all part of the uh, experience and we survived. So, so all of those things I think became really, really formative in, in how I practice and recognizing one, because I, you know, built up that kind of stab and I'm going to outlast my opponent every single time. And what I know is that Friday afternoon in court, everyone else is asleep, man, advantage to Mike. So I, I take advantage of those things. So Mike, and one of the hardest parts when it comes to criminal defense is getting cases. I mean, it can be really, really difficult because people will try to undercut you when it comes to price. It's especially in criminal defense. It's really one of those sayings where people are price shopping. Uh, what's your advice to younger lawyers that are getting into criminal defense when it comes to attracting clients and not only attracting them whenever the phone rings, but convincing them to hire them and not someone else? Well, so I, I don't believe in convincing people to hire you. I don't compete on price. I compete on value. And 
you know, I never badmouth other lawyers. What I tell people is what I can do for them and what my track record is and how long I've been doing it and why it's important that, you know, when their freedom's at stake, you know, that, that they get someone on their team that actually has won. You know, you wouldn't want a quarterback in the Super Bowl who's never won the Super Bowl, right? You want Tom Brady. Well, if you've got someone who's actually never won a case, you know, is that the person that you actually want? So I give them my track record. I don't negotiate on on prices, I've already said. I let them know. And the other thing as, as a, a pro tip for newer lawyers is find out what their pain point is. So we don't do DUIs anymore, but we used to. And when we did, I would bring someone in and I would say, hey, what is your big concern? Well, I, you know, I I'm concerned I'm going to lose my driver's license. All right. What would happen if you lost your license? Well, I'd lose my job. Oh, man. Well, what would happen if you lost your job? Well, I'd lose my house. All right. So what we're talking about now is we're talking about saving their house. Now, all of a sudden, my fees are pretty de minimis compared to losing their house. So you want to find the pain point, what they really care about, and then attach what you can do for them vis-a-vis avoiding that particular pain point. Mike, all right. So somebody, there's a criminal defense lawyer. He's three years out of law school. He just set up shop in Santa Fe. He just left the public defender's office. He hears this podcast and he comes and knocks on your door and he says, Mike, can you help me build something big here in Santa Fe? I don't want to be Saul Goodman, which is Albuquerque, but I want to be me and I want to build my firm. And let's say you met with him once a month for 12 months. What would be sort of your, what, what, what would be your mindset as you walked through that young attorney trying to launch something in Santa Fe? Yeah, great question. So the, the first thing is you need to start tracking all your data. You need to have a system to track everything uh, that you possibly can. The second thing is that you need to read every day something. You need to increase your general book of knowledge. And I don't mean law books. I'm, I mean general things. I read copious amounts of books. You need to, and here was something that, that when I was a young lawyer, uh, a friend of mine who was a very experienced lawyer told me, he said, you got to learn how to tell a story. You know, when you're in front of a jury, you're telling stories. When you're in front of a judge trying to talk him out of sending your client to prison, you got to tell your client's story. Why? How did they get in this mess? What happened to them? What's the underlying factor? And in order to tell that story, you got to learn how to ask the right questions and not shy away from it. You know, why are you drinking so much? Why are you taking drugs? What what happened? Tell me about tell me about last year. You know, and then you find out, well, you know, mom died and I went bankrupt and well, no wonder you're drinking. All right, well, then let's start dealing with that. But if you don't ask the questions, you're not going to know the story and and then you're not going to be able to relay that. So learning how to tell a story and learning how to find out, you know, how to ask the questions, not being embarrassed or shy about it. That's such a good bit of advice. And for those of you that have not read the book, Storyworthy, it's a really good book. I just finished it about telling a story. So it's really, really good. But uh, Mike, we are near the end. So I do need to start uh, wrap things up. Uh, before I do, I want to make sure I remind everyone to join us in the big Facebook group. A lot of great information being shared there, almost 6,000 members. If you want a more high-level conversation, join us in the Guild. Go to maxlawguild.com. And as we go through the end of this episode where we give our tips and our hacks, if you don't mind giving us a five-star review, review, we would greatly appreciate it. Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? My parents and my sister bought a house in Michigan on the very edge of the Eastern time zone. 
when we go up there for vacation to visit them, when I leave on Saturday morning, I get moving with everybody at four in the morning. And then we walk out of there at five and we drive back to St. Louis. And my goal is to get back by 11 a.m. So we pick up an hour on the way and everybody's asleep for the first four hours. So by the time they start bitching and moaning about the trip, we're just two hours from home, right? And I thought of that this morning when I was on the treadmill at 5 a.m. So I've been getting up at 5 a.m. reading books or audiobooks on the treadmill at 5. And at about 5.25, I realized, you know, by getting up this freaking early, my mind doesn't even register that hard drive from Michigan. It's the same thing. It's that if you can get up and get things moving before your mind has the the opportunity to tell you no or that you're crazy, it just makes everything a ton easier. So get up earlier, do the hard thing first, eat that frog, and then go on from there. That's awesome. Really good bit of advice, Jimbo. All right, Mike. So we always ask our guests to give a tip or a hack. It could be a book, could be a podcast, could be whatever. So what you got for us? Yeah, so my advice to the people is you should do a, a weekly to-do list for the following week, and you should do it on Friday. And the reason that you should do it on Friday is you get a chance to see, did I get last week done, and have time to actually fix it if you didn't. You know, if you wait till Sunday, it's too late. So I do my weekly to-do list for the following week on Friday. I have a chance to evaluate how I've done this week and really plan out in a, uh, a very strategic way, you know, like jail visits and all those kinds of things the following week so that everything is in place. So Monday morning, I'm ready to rock and roll. Let me tell you something, Mike. We've heard a lot of time management, a lot of task management, lots of tips when it comes to all those types of things, right? Never have I heard anybody give that specific tip. That's really good. I think that's really good. I've got my own way of doing this work, but I've never heard anybody suggest that on any book, any podcast. So that's really unique. So that's that's cool. I really like that. that I love that. That's neat. My tip, it's funny because my tip is sort of related to what Mike had mentioned earlier, and you'll know what I'm talking about in a second. My tip is a book by Seth Godin. I know Jimmy likes Seth Godin. It's called This Is Marketing. It's not a new book. It's from 2018, but This Is Marketing. You can't see until you learn to see. And it's I, I really like the way he thinks. To be honest with you, I don't like his writing style, but I do like the way his, his thought process on things. And he talks about whenever someone goes to the store to buy a drill bit, and he goes through the whole thought process. Well, no, they're not really looking for a drill bit. They're looking for a hole. Well, no, what they're looking for is a shelf. Well, no, they're not really looking for a shelf. They're looking to put a picture frame on a shelf. Well, they're not really looking for a picture frame. They want to make sure that their house looks nice. Well, no, it's not really that their house looks nice as they want to be comfortable in their home, right? So you kind of go through this process and it's kind of related to what you're talking about when it comes to, okay, well, you'll lose your vehicle. Okay, no, you'll lose your job. You know, then you'll lose your house and, and kind of going through that. And so thinking through that with clients is really cool. So the tip is, um, this is marketing really, really good, but it gets you thinking about those sorts of things when it comes to thinking about your law practices. So uh, really cool. And I love how we're able to tie those two together, Mike. Really neat. But uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a lot of fun. I can't wait to follow some of the things you're doing. So it's really neat. Well, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. I've, I've enjoyed it very much. Mike, if our listeners want to get a hold of you or track you down or read your book, what's the best way to contact you? So I have a website, MikeChastain.com, uh, uh, and Chastain, C-H-A-S-T-A-I-N-E. Jessica spells it wrong. So Mike or Michael Chastain, I have both of those urals. Uh, my email is mchastain at gmail. So you can reach me directly there or through the website. The book you can get through the website or you can get it on Amazon. It's available there as well. 
Um, if you contact me directly, I'll send you a signed copy. Uh, otherwise, uh, you just get the generic copy. That's awesome. I'll be reaching out and I'm going to copy that book. Very cool. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.